Our scripture today comes from Romans 14, 13 through 23. It's on page 11 of your bulletin and on the screen behind me. Romans 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed, indeed clean, but what is wrong for anyone, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Davis. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, kids, uh, you can grab that uh, children's bulletin now. And here are the three things that I want you to listen for. Uh, the first is Halloween candy. Uh, secondly, a bike in the sidewalk. And then thirdly, missionaries. So Halloween candy, bike in the sidewalk, and missionaries. And with that, let me pray for us once again. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we do pray and ask uh, that you would draw near to us now by your spirit. Uh, we stand in great need of your spirit to be our teacher now. And Lord, at the very same time, we take comfort knowing that you do make great promises to accomplish what you desire when your word is proclaimed and when your, your people gather around your word together. And so we look to you now and pray that you would show us Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Kids, I know uh, you might actually even be on a 24-hour uh, countdown now at this point, uh, because tomorrow marks a really important day of the year, and I'm not talking about Reformation Day, though that's important too, right? Uh, tomorrow is Halloween, uh, which means that if you are still of trick-or-treating age, which is in, of it, in and of itself a debated topic, right? Um, you are about to make a major haul of Halloween candy, um, but you're also probably going to face uh, a, a real dilemma at least one time tomorrow night and probably multiple times, and the dilemma is this. You're going to show up at a house, and rather than knocking on the door to, to then say trick or treat, there's just going to be this huge bowl of candy that's just sitting there, right? And uh, some of those houses are going to have a nice little sign that says, take one, please, right? Uh, but there are going to be some houses that have that bowl sitting there with no further instructions, okay? Here's your dilemma. You could just take a piece or two, right? 
Or, you know, you think it is Halloween, uh, you could get in there with a full handful of it, right, and go into the bag. Or you could actually pick up the entire bowl and empty the thing right into your Halloween bag, right? So uh, here's the issue with that. Technically, you're free to do that, right? It's not technically wrong for you to do, uh, for, for you to empty that bowl, right? But... We all know that's not cool, right? Uh, it's not cool to all the trick-or-treaters who are going to come to that house after you and have no more candy, right? Nor, and you might not think about this, nor is it cool to that homeowner because they're going to get the reputation as the house that didn't put enough Halloween candy out, okay? So, uh, so it, here's the deal. It, you could exercise your freedom in that moment in a way that actually does harm to other people. Okay, I mention that because that's a picture of what Paul is warning us about in this second half of Romans 14. So he's writing these two different groups of people who had very different views on some non-essential matters in the church. And again, we've talked about this previously, but it's important to remember that, that this is over secondary non-essential issues. Okay, specifically, uh, they 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 had uh, they had issues. Uh, or that it was over these things that what Paul calls disputable matters or opinions. And so what's important to remember is that they agreed on the essentials. These essentials of, of who Jesus is, that he is the true Messiah, that he is the true son of God, and that he is the one who's come into the world uh, for, to save them and, and to save them by faith alone. So they agreed on those things, but they differed on, on these secondary non-essential issues. So here are the two groups. You had, on the one hand, uh, these Jewish Christians who had converted to Christianity out of Judaism. And so again, they believed, like all Christians, that salvation came through Christ, faith in Christ, as Messiah. But because of their Jewish background, they, they were convinced in their consciences that a part of what it looked like to be faithful to the Lord was to continue to observe some of these, uh, these Old Testament practices, specifically these laws about food and these laws uh, about Jewish festival days. And so in this section, uh, when Paul refers to the weak, he's talking about those Jewish Christians. And the reason for that is because he, he means that not that they are weak in their faith in Jesus but, or their commitment to Jesus, but they are weak in conscience and that their conscience wouldn't allow them to, to, uh, to eat of any food or to cease celebrating these particular days. Okay, so that's one group. On the other hand, then, you had these Gentile Christians. These were people who had been converted out of a background with no experience in Judaism at all, and so they didn't have any issues with any of these kinds of, uh, with, with eating any kind of food or, or even just treating every day as if it were just a normal day. And, and here's the thing, they knew that they were free to eat whatever foods they wanted. And here's what's, what's really important for us to see. Paul agrees with them. He says, you are free from all those regulations. And so Gentile Christians, you strong believers, you are right. But here's the temptation though that you can face as one who is right in this circumstance. If you're not careful, you could begin enjoying that freedom that is really yours in a way that does incredible harm to the weaker brother among you. You could enjoy your freedom in a way that shipwrecks his faith. 
Okay, so, so for Paul's audience, the, the, the issue here is about the, the matters of conscience with respect to the Old Testament practices. And of course, as we mentioned every week uh, thus far, uh, those obviously aren't the issues that we're dealing with in the church today. There are, though, uh, matters of conscience uh, that, that, that we could hold on which we differ as a church. So some possible examples of those. Uh, it could be uh, how you choose to educate your children. Uh, it, it could be about whether it's okay to listen to certain kinds of music or to watch certain movies. Um, it could even be uh, the, the question of whether it's okay to celebrate a, a, a holiday like Halloween. Or, and, and this is certainly the most contentious of all of these, when is it okay to begin listening to Christmas music? You, these are strong convictions that people have over these things, right? Um, I, I think, um, as I've thought about this, one of the times, though, that we end up describing our convictions as matters of conscience, maybe more than, than any other, is when it comes to elections and how we vote. And so I want you to, to, to think back to uh, the 2020 election, for example. There were people who said, I can't vote for Donald Trump because to do so would be to violate my conscience. There were other people who said, I can't in good conscience vote for Joe Biden. There, were, there was another group of people that said, I can't vote for either of these candidates in good conscience. There was differing opinion on that. Here's another one. There are some who, who would say, I cannot vote for a candidate who is not pro-life. To do so would violate my conscience. There are others who say, I could maybe in some scenario vote for a candidate who's not pro-life because of some other policy issues that are really important. So you can see, some of these things get really personal. They get to areas of our lives where we have very strong opinions, and they are all deeply important questions. They were deeply important questions to Paul's audience as well. But what Paul says in this passage is that every one of us has to wrestle with this question. How does the way that I hold my convictions impact the faith of my brothers and sisters? How does it affect them? That's the question that he wants us to wrestle with. And where he lands is saying that the moment that you begin caring more about exercising your freedom than you do about loving your brother, then you are no longer walking in the way of Jesus. You have departed from that way. And so what he calls us to instead is to, in verse 19, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so that's some of what we're going to look at uh, this week. So this is the seventh week in this series on Romans 12 to 16. We're calling this series Embodying Gospel Community. And so the question that we're asking of every passage as we make our way through is how can we embody the gospel in our life together? And so here's what we'll see today. We embody the gospel in our life together by being willing to set aside our freedom for the sake of our brothers and sisters. We embody the gospel by being willing to set aside our freedom for the sake of our brothers and sisters. So uh, three headings this afternoon. Here's the first. The barriers to mutual upbuilding. The barriers to mutual upbuilding. So look back to verse 13. Here's how Paul puts this. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that there are ways that the strong in, con the strong in conscience, again, these are the people who have no qualms at all uh, with eating of, of any kind of food. 
and, and of observing any day just as any other day. There are ways that the strong in conscience could enjoy and exercise their freedom in such a way that it, it could be an incredible hindrance to the faith of the weak. And so, uh, you can think about this. You, you can imagine one of the stronger brothers maybe showing up to the, house, to, to, to the house church for worship with something where he's just eaten pork. He's brought his lunch with him, right? And maybe in that moment, he's not thought at all about how that would impact the faith of his brother who is converted out of Judaism. Or it could even be worse than that. It could be that he's totally aware of how his brother is gonna uh, handle that, and he does it anyway. And so, so Paul's saying that when you do that, when you put this stumbling block or a hindrance in front of your brother, you are putting him in great danger. And the, the way that the New English translation puts this is, is to put an obstacle or a trap in front of him. So uh, kids, uh, I, I think th that's a, a really vivid picture. So let me try to illustrate this a bit more. I want you to imagine uh, that some afternoon you've been out riding your bike. It's been a beautiful evening. And uh, rather than bringing your bike in at the end of the night, you just decide I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm gonna ride it some more tomorrow. And so it's sitting there in the middle of the sidewalk and let's just say, too, that you live in a neighborhood where there's not a whole lot of light, okay? There's not a street light right there. And so especially at this time of year, when it gets dark, it gets really dark. Now, let's imagine that there's a person in your neighborhood who really loves to run early in the morning, okay? And, uh, and that person runs right by your house in the morning, and again, it's so early that it is super dark outside. Now, uh, let's imagine that that person runs right in front of your house on that sidewalk, what do you think is gonna happen? They're gonna hit the bike, right? And when they hit the bike, they're gonna stumble, they're gonna fall, and they could probably hurt themselves in a pretty big way, right? And so you hear that and you think, well, yeah, that's terrible. Like, I would never wanna do something like that to somebody. And, and, and Paul says, that's a picture, though, of what you're doing when you choose to prioritize the enjoyment of your own freedom over the good of your brother. When you care more about exercising your freedom than you do about your brother's conscience, what you're doing in that moment is that you are setting a stumbling block in front of your brother's faith. Here's the thing though, I mean, that, that sounds bad, but I, 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 you can see though why this would be tempting for the Gentile Christians. So think about this. Remember, what Paul has just said in verse 14 is that nothing is unclean in itself. And in Mark 7, Jesus says that it is not what, some, uh, what somebody puts into, what he eats or puts into his body that condemns him. It's what comes out of his heart that does. And then so what Mark ends up saying in verse 19 of, uh, of chapter seven is that Jesus declared all foods clean. So put yourself in the shoes of the strong for a moment. Paul has said, you're right. Jesus has said, you're right on this issue. And so you think to yourself, like, why shouldn't I be able to do this? Like, why can't I eat pork? Or why can't I drink alcohol in this particular setting? If somebody else has a problem with it, it's their problem, right? Like, I, I'm the one who's right on this issue. And so what Paul says, though, is that the second you start thinking that way, you are no longer walking in love. You've set up a barrier in the way of your brother. And in verse 17, he goes on to say, you've lost sight of what the kingdom is all about. 
It's not about these regulations about what you eat or, or what days that you observe. It's not about you getting to exercise your freedom. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the peace that Paul's talking about there is the peace within the church. And if you go around parading your liberties like that with no regard whatsoever to how that impacts your brothers and sisters, really bad things can happen. And he goes on to mention uh, some of those bad things. And so secondly, the dangers of not pursuing mutual upbuilding. The dangers of not pursuing mutual upbuilding. So he says a few things here. He says, first, you're in danger of destroying your brother. First, he says uh, that it could grieve your brother. Look back to verse 15. He says, for if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So, so here's what happens. Your brother sees that you're eating this meat and it's incredibly distressing to him. So the, the, the grief that Paul's talking about is not some kind of just small, sad feelings like, oh, I'm kind of disappointed by that. This would have been something that would have rocked his world that it would have pained him in some way such that he begins to question what the gospel is all about. But then look at what he says at the, in the rest of that verse, in verse 15. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And that word destroy is a really strong word. It could also be translated as lose your brother, as in eternally lose your brother. He's saying, if you flaunt your freedom with no regard to your brother, you could end up shipwrecking your brother's faith. So um, how could this happen? Uh, it's one thing to read that and go like, okay, like how could this play out in a scenario? So here's what Paul probably has in mind. A weaker brother sees a stronger brother eating these foods, and so the weaker brother ends up feeling pressured to do so. And so he, he goes ahead and does so, and the problem though is that it's violating his conscience. And again, these aren't small matters. It's not like uh, th this weaker brother is experiencing growth in his conscience in some way. Um, nor is he talking about like small differences of opinion that are inconsequential. He's talking about violating his conscience on something that is deep and settled in his mind and heart. And so what happens is when that brother, that weaker brother eats in that moment, it's putting him in a place of sinning against the Lord. And that's what Paul means in, in, in verse 23. He says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eat, his eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so what Paul is saying is that you've got to feel the weight of your actions. Don't destroy this one for whom Christ died. Don't put his faith in jeopardy because you want to selfishly enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ. So that's the first danger. Here's the second danger. You're in danger of tearing down the church. In danger of tearing down the church, verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And so if the strong continue in this pattern of caring more about their freedom than about their brothers and sisters, then what they're doing is they're in danger of tearing down or destroying God's work in the church. And I, we can feel the weight to a degree of how uh, significant that is. But if you think back to uh, Jesus, and the night before he was crucified in John 17, what he chooses to pray about that night is for the unity of the church. That we would be one 
even as he and the Father are one. And then both uh, Jesus and Paul at various times and in various places will talk about how the, the, the unity of the church is actually one of the ways that we put on display the very truth of the gospel as a reconciled fellowship. And so to then parade our liberties and to, 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 to go about that with no regard for how it's gonna impact one another begins to sow these seeds of strife, to sow these seeds of conflict that, that, that could bring to fruition then tearing apart of the very church for which Jesus has died, the very church that Jesus has prayed for. And so, uh, and so what's interesting is that, that Paul broadens the application of this in verse 21. So he says this, he says, it's good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Why? Because anything that you do to cause your brother to stumble puts the very church at risk tears the church apart. And so here's the question that, that, that we need to ask ourselves. Are there preferences that I hold or opinions that I hold that I care more about indulging than I do about how it impacts my brothers and sisters? Are there, are, are there things that, that I'm unwilling to lay down for the sake of my brothers and sisters? And if the answer is yes to that question, then we are no longer walking in love. We have departed from the way of Jesus. And the danger in that moment is that in our selfishness, we actually begin to tear apart the, the, the church that Jesus died to unite. And so it's a significant danger. Here's the third danger. You're in danger of losing sight of what the kingdom is all about. And this is a danger that I've already mentioned, but it's one that's actually directed to the strong in this moment. Because at the heart of our life with Jesus in his kingdom is this willingness to lovingly sacrifice for one another. This is why Jesus says in John 13 that the hallmark of our life together is gonna be the way in which we love one another. And so when we get wrapped up in our own freedom, and in wanting to exercise that freedom at the expense of our brothers and sisters, we are no longer walking in love. And then we have therefore lost sight of what Jesus' kingdom is all about. That is not a good place to be. And so these are the dangers, and, and they're, they're very serious dangers. Paul doesn't mince words in this section. And so here's the question for us. How are we to pursue uh, this kind of, uh, of what Paul's talking about in verse 19. How are we to pursue what makes for peace? How are we to pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding? And, and I think here, here's the hard part. How do we do that and still recognize and live into the freedom that we genuinely have in Jesus? So thirdly and finally then, the way of mutual upbuilding the way of mutual upbuilding. And so I wanna uh, highlight three things uh, in this passage and even pulling some from the earlier part of chapter 14. Here's the first way that we go about doing that. It's by prioritizing the good of your brother. By prioritizing the good of your brother. And, and the place where this begins is being considerate of your brothers. What Paul says is that you have got to understand how hard this is on the consciences of your brothers and sisters. He's saying like, I know this does not seem like that big of a deal to you, but what you've got to see is that it is a huge deal to them. 
So you need to be mindful of their particular questions and struggles on these matters. Be sensitive to them, be considerate of them. And once you're aware of them, you need to be willing to set aside your own freedom. This is what he says in verse 21. He says, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You've gotta be willing to lay aside your freedom. And this is important, not because there's anything sinful about it, not because there's anything inherently wrong with doing any of these things, but for the sake of the spiritual well-being, spiritual well-being of your brother, you are willingly laying down the exercise of these freedoms. You care more about your brother and your sister than you do about your own freedom. Okay, so what, what, what could this look like? Um, well, I, I read this. Uh, this was a, uh, a gift, <laughs> an illustration gift this week from the Lord. Um, I read this really interesting article about missionaries in many Southeast Asian countries where food that, that has been used in pagan rit- rituals and actually sacrificed to gods is still a real issue. And so, uh, and so Paul's words in this passage in Romans 14, and then specifically uh, there's a section in 1 Corinthians in chapters 8 to 10 that talks about food sacrificed to idols. And the point of that article was to say there are places in the world and contexts where these words apply directly where they map on to the situations that that the Christians are having to navigate. These questions of, can I eat of this food that has literally been sacrificed to idols? And I I mention that, um, obviously not because that's an issue for us, but just to show that that so much of, of these sorts of questions is wrapped up in our context, and it's wrapped up in the people to whom we're ministering. That's gonna shape so much of how we think about these decisions. So, for example... It could be that that you're in a context where you're involved with a lot of people who have been in recovery before. And so because of of their background and how uh, destructive the use and abuse of alcohol has been for them and in their communities, it may be that they have a really difficult time even imagining a Christian faithfully drinking alcohol. And so the question then is, is what would we do in that case? And, and again, you know that there's nothing inherently sinful at all about drinking alcohol in moderation, that there are ways to enjoy that uh, and give thanks to God for it. But for the sake of your brothers and sisters, it's probably best in that moment to set aside that freedom and choose not to drink because that is what your brother needs of you in that moment. And so Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, and I think this is a great summary of the perspective of this whole passage. He says, we are given liberty in Christ in order to be the servants of others, not in order to indulge our own preferences. So we're to prioritize the good of our brothers and sisters. Here's the second suggestion in terms of the way. Keep your convictions between you and the Lord. Keep your convictions between you and the Lord. Verse 22, the faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Okay, some qualifications here. Paul is not saying, don't you ever even mention your conviction. (laughs) Don't ever mention your opinion or your view on these matters. Nor is he saying that that, that there aren't ever situations where you could legitimately enjoy your freedom. In other words, this is not an absolute statement that Paul's making. If you think about it, there were probably places where the strong that he's uh, writing to here would still enjoy eating meat, right? 
But here's the deal. They didn't do it when they were with their brothers and sisters. They didn't do it in any context where it could result in the harm of their brothers and sisters. So uh, another uh, modern day example of this, I know of a, uh, an RUF campus minister uh, who wouldn't drink alcohol in the town where he ministered. And his, he wouldn't allow his staff or those on leadership to do so either. And the reason for that was because it was such a huge issue for students at that university that it was just better not to. But here's the thing. He did drink, though, when he was outside of that city, when he was with his friends in other contexts. And again, I, I mentioned that just as a, an example to say that there are not clear-cut black and white uh, rules on these sorts of things. We're in the realm uh, uh, that, that requires a lot of wisdom and a realm that requires a whole lot of humility and a willingness to die to ourselves. So that's part of what Paul's talking about in keeping this between you and the Lord. Don't make it everybody else's issue. But the other part of that command as well in verse 22 is that you must obey your conscience. And he gives us a, a, a couple of guiding questions back in the passage that we looked at last week. And they are, uh, they are these. Can I do this to the honor of the Lord? And can I do this and give thanks to the Lord for it? If the answer is yes to those two questions, then wonderful. If the answer is no to either of those questions, then you shouldn't do it. So that's the second way to keep your convictions between you and the Lord and to work them out between you and the Lord. Thirdly then, be open to your conscience being reformed according to the scriptures. Be open to your conscience being reformed according to Scripture. And that's a helpful quote from J.D. Greer. Uh, it actually dips back into what Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 14, where he says this. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so uh, if you think about this, I, I, I don't think that what Paul has in mind is that those uh, uh, with weaker consciences would remain that way forever. And I would guess that for a lot of us, even in this room, there are things about which you formerly had strong convictions that you no longer hold now. And so part of what Paul's hope is, is that as we continue to look to Scripture together, our convictions might change. And that we should be open to that as we continue to look at the Bible together, as we continue to bring these matters before the Lord in prayer. And, and this is an important one, as we continue to discuss these things together in the church, we should be open to the Spirit changing our convictions on some of these matters because that's some of what he'll do for us. So uh, here's the deal. Let me say this as we, uh, as we wrap up here. Um, all of this is really, really hard to do. It's hard because it requires real wisdom. Uh, it's hard because it, it requires us to lay down something that is rightly ours. And, and I think it, it's particularly hard to lay down something that's rightly yours and to not allow resentment of the weaker brother to develop in your own heart. And so uh, that, here's the thing. There, there's really only one way, ultimately, that this is possible. And it's by looking to Jesus himself. Because what you see when you look to Jesus is this unbelievable example of him laying down his life, laying down his, uh, laying down, or setting aside his freedom, and not just his freedom over matters of conviction, over matters of personal preference, of matters of exercising freedom, but of actually literally laying down his life 
for the good of those that he would eventually call brothers. And so that, that is our example for us, Jesus himself. And so Paul in Philippians 2 says this of him, that though he was in the form of God, he did not account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he did that for you. And here's what's great about this. Our whole life is found in Jesus, and so we should look to him for all things. But as you look to him, and you see him as one who has laid down his very life for you, the incredible thing that begins to happen is that you start to become a person, the kind of person who would gladly lay down your freedom for the good of your brothers and sisters. And it's all because of the way that he's at work in you. And the question then is, will you look to him in faith? He offers himself to you. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful uh, that you are a God who is so kind, so loving, and so patient with us. And Lord, we thank you for the depth and the riches of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that applies to us in, in, in so many different facets of our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us a congregation who gladly will lay aside our freedom for the good of one another that we would prioritize one another's spiritual health and well-being over our own selfish enjoyment of, of things that you've given to us. So Lord, we need your spirit to do that and we pray that you would. And we pray that in all of this, we put on display the glory and goodness of our Savior Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.